And online, you can type, I'm doing well, thank you, I'll see it after. So I know that you're actually paying attention still. You didn't just log out as soon as I got on stage. But I want to start with a, a little bit of a weird question, but don't worry, we'll get there. What's the weirdest job interview you've ever had? And while you think about that, I'm the one with the microphone, so I'm going to share. For me, it was a job on an elk ranch just south of Edmonton. Yes, you heard that right. And my interview was following the uh, rancher around for two of his properties. And long story short, it ended up with us trying to rescue a cow elk, which is a female elk, uh, that had gotten into the oats, if you know anything about cattle. Same thing as elk, apparently. Uh, if they eat too many oats uh, too quickly, they uh, get a gas problem and they bloat, and uh, basically they blow up inside. And so we tried to rescue her unsuccessfully, but I still got the job. Uh, and the, the interview went well enough, so for tools, uh, one of my first days on the job, I was helping with uh, calving and tagging the, the newborn elk calves, which are very cute if you've ever seen a newborn deer, very similar elk or just big deer, and I was handed this tool, and I'm wondering if any of you can help me, what, it, what is this tool called? Well, that's where you think you're right, but I'm sorry to inform you, you're wrong, this is a Canadian shepherd's crook, all right? Some people call it a hockey stick, but this was a, is a, sh a Canadian shepherd's crook. And I was handed this, and of course, I had some questions. Uh, primarily, what do I do with this? And he said, well, while I'm tagging the calf and giving it the treatment it needs, the mother is not going to be very happy. So your job is to prevent her from trying to kill me. And I said, okay, I see the hockey stick, I see me, how do I do that? And he said, well, you hold it up, you shout, you're as loud as you can, and if she comes close enough, you hit her with it. And I said, okay, how hard? He said, hard enough that it makes her bleed and she won't do it again. So that was one of my first days on the job. I've, I only ever had to hit one once, and I don't know how hard I hit it, but she shook a little bit and kept going. But... If you've ever seen a wild elk, they're not very small, but bred elk that are actually raised in captivity and actually bred for their size are significantly bigger. The female cows get up to 600 pounds, and their shoulders are about as tall as me, so that's not even including their head. And that's not talking about the bull elks. They're a little intimidating for anybody of any size. But so here I was as this, this summer job, and uh, I was literally putting my life in, in danger to protect the rancher. He was a nice enough guy, I thought I'd do my best job. And uh, so I did my best, but I, I literally had to put, be willing to put myself in harm's way. He would often, uh, in the pens that we were in, he would kind of corner the baby elk against a fence, put his truck there, but there was an area that I was tasked with protecting. And we took turns after I learned to do some of the things. Uh, but I'll put that down for now, otherwise I'll play with it the entire sermon. And then another time, uh, part, of, part of protecting means that we actually put ourselves in harm's way and in danger. And another time, uh, when Liberty was just a baby, our oldest daughter, uh, and Kerson was carrying her in one of those little infant carriers on your stomach, I'm sure you've seen those. Uh, Kerson and I went to this farmer's market, and uh, all of a sudden, a crazy wind picked, out, uh, picked up out of nowhere and literally picked up the tent, and it started shaking. And I, I heard it coming, so I told Kerson to run, and I, I, the tent peg started going towards her, so I put my arm out, and I have this really cool scar right here. Just gives me an excuse to flex my biceps, but it's right here, which shows 
that I, I was willing to put myself in danger to protect, protect my wife. And I'm not doing that, uh, that just to talk about me and my biceps. That's enough about that. You can forget about that. But the idea that I want you to hold on to is this idea and this thought about protecting others, even at the cost to yourself. So this morning, we're continuing our series on the I Am statements of Jesus. And Jesus makes these statements to explain and point to who he is. And these are important because they teach us who Jesus is and what he does. And knowing who Jesus is helps us to know who we are. And last week, Pastor Jeremy preached on Jesus as the gate for the sheep, which is strongly connected to the I am statement we're looking at today. So this morning, we're looking at Jesus as the good shepherd. And some people falsely claimed, and even you maybe you've heard this, that Jesus never actually called himself God which is clearly untrue because in these seven I am statements, uh, Jesus is clearly aligning himself and showing off his divinity. And that's why the Jews accuse him of blasphemy, of saying he is God, and that, which led to his death. And so these I am statements clearly point to his alignment and his divine nature. And the reason that I am is important uh, is it's the name that God calls himself when Moses asks him, who do I say sent me? He says, tell them, I am sent me. I am who I am from Exodus 3.14. And so God itself, just saying God, is a title or a designation. But I am is God's personal name. And knowing somebody's name and being familiar with somebody's name actually denotes relationship. There are other religions that, that uh, say God or uh, a version of God, like Allah, which is just the, the word in a different language for God. But Christians alone have personal names. We have the name of God. And so it, it denotes this relationship. And the relationship is something that we'll see today. There's a relationship between a shepherd and a sheep, which is one of intimacy, and I doubt many of us have spent uh, many, much time around real sheep, and if any of you guys have, I'd love to pick your brains later. But our familiar with, familiarity with them tends to be children's stories or pictures of these cute, perfect, fluffy sheep. And I'm trying to be sensitive about how to say this and to share what sheep are really like. Um, but, but they're not, the, well, the brightest, um, the sharpest tool in the shed, the most intellectually gifted, obedient. Okay, let, let's just lay it all out there. Sheep are stupid, okay? <laughs> sheep, sheep are pretty stupid. And exhibit one, I'm just going to explain this before the picture goes up. This is a sheep called Shrek the Sheep, and I just want to give a bit of context. Primitive sheep uh, that are raised in the wild, good, it's not up there yet, are, um, are, are made and they're designed in such a way that they actually shed their wool every year. Uh, in so that, just like dogs would if they have a winter coat or whatever, but they have raised sheep to the point, and merino sheep, uh, for example, like Shrek is here, that they don't shed their wool. So the only way for them to lose their wool is for it to literally be sheared every year. And so there's one sheep in particular that got away and lived and hid in a cave for six years. And this is what he looks like. After six years of continuously growing wool. Now, you can't even see his eyes, because if you've ever looked really closely at a sheep shearing, which I did for research for this, the, uh, the wool actually comes right over their eyes. So he can barely see, he looks like he could barely walk. And uh, if you go to the next picture, you can see him getting sheared. Uh, 
but he grew a fleece weighing uh, approximately 27 kilograms or 60 pounds, which the math makes sense, six years worth of wool. A sheep usually has 10 pounds of weight, so he, he, was, he was doing some bodybuilding, you know? He was, he was just trying to live up to his namesake of being a strong sheep. Um, but uh, 20 uh, suits is, an, is what could have come from this one sheep shearing this one time. And so you could see, he couldn't see very well, he probably had trouble walking and eating, but he ran away from his shepherd and suffered the consequences. And thankfully, this is the, the connection here, we have a God who rescues us even when we get ourselves in sticky situations like our sheep. And so this is what a, a sheep is supposed to look like. I know they're still a little ugly, but don't get too judgy, okay? Because the analogy, before you get too offended, is at the metaphor Jesus uses, he is the shepherd and we are the sheep. But be honest with yourselves, how many times have you done something and I've done something, I'm, I'm in this too, and you've realized pretty quickly how, let's say, silly it was. <laughs> Even the most brilliant people out there make bad choices sometimes. But the emphasis this morning, we could pick on sheep and ourselves all we want, but the emphasis I want to focus on this morning is Jesus, not on us. But you can just keep that in the back of your mind. Anytime you want to start picking on sheep, remember, that's us. And so follow along with me as we read our passage this morning. And this is what Jesus says in John 10, 1 to 18, or, the, or uh, sorry, 10, 10 to 18 out of the NLT. The thief's purchase, purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as my father knows me, and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take it from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again for this is what my father has commanded." There's a lot to unpack in this passage. There's a lot of good things. And so I'm going to pull out a few of them, but I want to give a, even a little bit. Since we, we're not Middle Eastern shepherds or Middle Eastern people, we don't have the, uh, uh, or ancient Middle Eastern shepherds, we don't know necessarily the context. But Middle Eastern ancient shepherds were known for their personal devotion to their sheep. They would talk to them, they would sing to them, they would play a flute, for example, with short repeated tunes. Uh, the uh, King David was a shepherd. He, he probably wrote some of the, the music that he wrote and, and got really good with the harp or the flute while he was uh, as a shepherd because sometimes there's just not much to do when sheep are just chomping on grass. But he would often, a shepherd would actually give auditory cues for his sheep and they would recognize his voice. So the shepherd of the Middle East led his sheep out front. They didn't drive them behind them. Instead, the sheep followed where the shepherd led. And he would have known each one by name, and he would have recognized each one, and the sheep would have recognized his voice. So the image here that, that Jesus is giving, too, is 
of personal time calling each sheep by name, of getting to know each sheep. It's not a generic call just saying, hey, sheep, sheep, get over here, but he's literally calling each one of us by name. He is calling you and me and each one of us by name. So the first thing that we can pull out of this is because Jesus lays down his life, as he says in here, he says we can have life more abundantly. That is what he's proffered. Because he sacrifices himself for us, we can have life more abundantly. So Jesus starts this section off by contrasting himself with two different groups, thieves and hired hands. And Pastor Jeremy last week talked about thieves and robbers, but the thief or the enemy of humanity is Satan and his demons, who was formerly an angel of light, who rejected God's will and purposes, and instead became his enemy, and as human beings, we are made in God's image, so we are his enemy. He seeks to kill us, to steal from us, to steal us away from God, and to destroy. And what he can't take He seeks to kill. What he cannot steal or kill, he seeks to destroy. So he longs for humanity as those made in God's image to be killed. And so this is part of the battle that has raged since the Garden of Eden, where humanity first fell. And so those he can't destroy or kill, he seeks to distract. He tries to lead us away from our good shepherd. And the use of a triad such as steal, kill, and destroy, anytime you see kind of a three-time repeated in the Bible, it's a biblical way of emphasizing either a positive or negative quality of something. So it's emphasizing how negative, how, how intent the enemy is on, on trying to get rid of us. And so it sends this, this message of this powerful nature of evil as an opponent to, to, uh, to humanity who Jesus is putting himself in front of in order to provide security for the flock. So our good shepherd lays down his life for us, his sheep. He steps in front of the biggest dangers and the greatest enemies of humanity and not only just risks harm or danger, he actually steps in front of us knowing that it will cost his life. Now the, the rancher that I worked with, I really liked him. Ben was a great, do- uh, great guy. Sometimes I was scared, sometimes I felt pretty confident. But I understood there was a risk of injury but, and a very small chance of being seriously injured and a very remote chance of it being fatal when I would stand in front of those, uh, those elk. But I was willing to risk it because it seemed reasonable. And I think most people would do the same. I think people in general are, are good in, in that sense of being moral. They would, they would do what it could. But... I can't honestly say that I for sure would have stood in front of those elk if I knew that it would kill me for sure. I like Ben, he's a good guy, but I, I don't know that I would for sure have put my life knowing that it, was, that it would cost me my life. But that's what Jesus did. Jesus knew it would cost him his life. He didn't know it was just a risk. He didn't think, well, I might get hurt. No, he knew that it would cost him his life. And so he chose not to just put himself at risk, but to certain death in order to protect us, his sheep. So he protects us from the ravages of death, even at the cost of his own life. He trades our life tainted with sinfulness and and with suffering, and he trades us for one that is more abundant, that is better Not just in the future. There is a future reality in that, but in the here and now. And that doesn't mean that our life here on earth is going to be easy or without trials or pain, but it is going to be a richer and a better life. 
a life with purpose, and a life with a shepherd, a good shepherd by our side. So Jesus is this agent of wholeness, of eternal life, of secure pasture, and of release from the realm of darkness. He is, as the Samaritans confess, the savior of the world. And he is the one that provides life to the fullest. He says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And the Greek word that he actually uses here literally means that which goes way beyond necessity. He, he gives us a life that is bigger than we can possibly imagine. And John wanted his readers to know that the gift of Jesus is life beyond our wildest dreams. And there's this beautiful picture of Isaiah 40:11. It says, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. It's this beautiful picture of God just, of Jesus not just, not just uh, protecting us and being this, this uh, really strong and courageous shepherd, but also this gentle, loving shepherd who protects us. So he lays down his life for us because, so we can have life more abundantly. Now, uh, picture for just a minute the best life that you could possibly imagine. You can close your eyes if you want, but what's the, what's the happiest version of life that you can possibly imagine? In the kids' movies Tangled, the thief rider says that his dream of a best life is living on an island with enormous piles of money. And most of us, uh, maybe, uh, who, or most people who win the lottery, maybe that's, maybe that's your thing. I want to win the lottery. I want to have more money, which is the dream of many. Most people who win the lottery actually end up more miserable and more unhappy than they were before. And the reason that our dreams stink, as the other characters tell Ryder, his dream stinks, is because we lack imagination. And we actually lack understanding of what's truly good for us. But our good shepherd offers us a better life, a life of purpose and meaning and a life of love, both now and in heaven. Now again, not a carefree, easy life, but because, uh, not because uh, that Jesus would lack those things, because this is the hard side of heaven. <laughs> this is the side where there's still suffering and death, but Jesus is our good shepherd. We can have life more abundantly. Okay, secondly, because Jesus is the good shepherd, we are loved and accepted by God. Now, do you ever struggle with feeling unloved or unwanted? Don't put your hand up unless you want. Unless you want to, that's fine. But do you ever feel rejected or, or wonder if anyone would truly miss you if you just disappeared? Do you ever feel like maybe your boss or your parents don't maybe feel like they care about you? No matter why you feel it, if you feel like you're not loved or not accepted by those around you, you can rest in comfort knowing that Jesus loves you and Jesus accepts you. Jesus, Jesus calling himself a good shepherd is more than just a nice metaphor for little children's Bibles. It's actually aligning himself with those who are rejected, with those who feel unloved. Shepherds in, in uh, Jesus' time were considered ceremonially unclean. We, we often think, as I said, of sheep as cuddly little, little animals, but realistically, they're farm animals, and like other farm animals, they stink. 
They're dirty, and so the shepherds that slept with them would have stunk too. And they were considered ceremoniously unclean. In their, in their religious society, they were not allowed to do the regular uh, religious ceremonies. However, even the illustrious King David was a shepherd as a young boy, and he showed the courage that shepherds needed to have in protecting their sheep. Uh, but God is the God of outcasts. God is the God who aligns himself with those who, who feel rejected, who those who feel unloved or unlovable. Those who society now might consider unclean for whatever reason. No one is beyond Jesus' love. He calls all of us to respond to his voice just as a sheep responds to his master's voice. You know, I was taught a course uh, in Bible college by this uh, man who on the his primary job was being a sheep farmer, uh, but he taught college courses on the side. He has his PhD, and it was a weird mix, but he would tell us stories about uh, being a shepherd, and there was this one sheep in particular. I can't remember what his name was, but he had raised it by hand because of the circumstances of its birth, and uh, any time that he was remotely close to the sheep pen, that one sheep in particular would come flying at him, and he often had to put his, his knee out so it didn't uh, just jump on him because it was so excited. And uh, one of my favorite pictures was he'd often have other sheep around him, and this one would literally climb on their backs to try and get to him. And so this, this idea is this is how it should all be with our good shepherd. We should be doing, anytime we hear his voice, we should be jumping, we should be bawling or talking, whatever, and just doing whatever we can to get as close to Jesus as we possibly can. Because when we know that we are loved and accepted no matter what, and I'm preaching to myself in this, this this morning too, we can live out of that place of being loved. We no longer have to earn our place to be loved. We no longer have to earn or worry, am I good enough? Have I done enough? Am I there yet? We can recognize that our shepherd loves us no matter that we're still stinky little sheep. We're already loved by God. There's nothing more we need to do or even can do to be loved by God. So if we have accepted his free gift of grace and, are, and admitted our own inability to save ourselves, then we trade our sinful life for an abundant one. We trade a life of being unloved or unknown for being loved and known and cared for. Many, if not all of us, have this little anxiety or fear that often creeps into our hearts and our mind if we're honest with ourselves is that this idea, if those around us really knew what was going on in my head, if, if those around us really knew how I felt tempted or how, how I had that thought in my heart or in my mind, if they really knew my doubts or my anxieties or my insecurities, my brokenness, if they really knew what was going on, that they would leave us. If they really knew who I was inside, they wouldn't love me anymore. We got a little quiet in here. Okay, so it's not just me then. Well, that's the hard truth, right? But you know what? And we trick ourselves in this all the time. We're really good at deceiving ourselves. God already knows all of the worst of you. And he knew not just when you accepted that, when you accepted him, he knew before he laid himself down in front of death's door. He knew that. He knew all of the worst about you before he was ever even came to earth. He knew the worst, and he still loves you. 
There's nothing good that you can do to earn his love and there's nothing bad you can do to lose it. God loves you. He lays his life down for you. There's nothing you can do to make God reject you. He loves you and longs for you to come home into his welcome arms, to stop running and hiding and come home to him. So if, you, if you're running away from God, stop living like Shrek the sheep, just clinging on more and more things onto your life, and instead come home to him and find healing and forgiveness and wholeness and a better, more abundant life. Jesus says, the Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again for this is what my Father has commanded me. God's love is relational. As, as we looked at last week, obedience is a part of love. God laid down his life in order to take it up again. So he died so that he could rise again and be glorified and pour out his spirit on others so we might live too. This means that God's presence is with us wherever we go. Are you aware of God's presence with you? Are you aware if you're a Christian that the Holy Spirit is with you? There's nowhere you can go where you are not with God. And Jesus' presence in your life is a sign and a constant reminder of God's love and acceptance of you. And this also shows that, that uh, God doesn't necessarily love you because God doesn't love you because he needs you. He loves you because he wants you. He has no needs in himself, but he wants you. He desires a relationship with you. And he went so far as to bring, to bring you to him that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And so he continues to call you even today. And it says that, that God actually even loves Jesus more. He loves him even more because he was willing to die for us. So God cares so much about us because of that. And so because God is our good shepherd, we can have life more abundantly and we are loved and accepted. Thirdly and lastly, if you're watching the clock, we're getting there, don't worry. Because he's a good shepherd, we are part of God's people and we share a purpose. In verse 16, Jesus said, I have other sheep too that are not in the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. This is almost a side note in this passage, but Jesus is telling them there's a whole other group of people. There's a whole other group of people who aren't here among the followers that are my sheep. For the original audience who would have been Jewish, this, this primarily meant the Gentiles. And it shouldn't have been a surprise for them about the inclusion of the Gentiles because that had always been a part of God's promised plan of redemption in the Old Testament. However, over time, Israel began to think that they alone had salvation because of their special covenantal relationship with God, but they were always meant to be the light to help others draw closer to God. But Jesus understood his mission also to involve the gathering of other sheep that they may belong to one flock or one herd. And this, this is significant because not everyone is from the same sheepfold or enclosure, but all belong to one flock since there's one shepherd. So the, the message by Jesus here is that there's meant to be unity in the church, but not uniformity. All the, the great sea church throughout the world is united by who our leader is, which is Jesus. And today, maybe that applies to different denominations. Different denominations may use different words or languages or maybe focus on different things. But as long as we all hold Jesus in common as our leader, our good shepherd, Jesus is the head of the church. 
So regardless of who the earthly pastor of any one church is for whatever season, Jesus is the primary leader. And so this church should and will continue regardless of who our earthly leader is, and we are blessed in this season to have Pastor Jeremy with us. And we see his, his, the legacy that he is going to have over these, we're hoping, many, many years in the rich history of Bethel Church. And another aspect of this, though, is that our church isn't complete, Our church is not full. Our church is not done. There's a whole other group of people that we need to invite to be among us. There's a whole other people, there's a whole other people that that Jesus is calling, that we are called to be agents in the world, sharing his voice and sharing his message of hope and wholeness and redemption. So we have the message of hope and love that the whole world needs to hear. Will everyone positively respond? Unfortunately not. Sheep are stubborn as well. But we are called to actually go out there and share the good message with them. And so we're called to be agents of redemption in the world. In Isaiah uh, 53, 6-7, All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He, that's Jesus, was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. But as we see at the end of verses 17 and 18, Jesus laid down his life only to take it up again. Now this doesn't minimize the pain that Jesus went through on the cross, but it was a death filled with hope. It was a death with resurrection on the other side. Jesus died knowing that he would come to life again. And he has the authority to lay it down and to pick it back up again. All right, don't worry about it, man. Okay, which shows, uh, this says that Jesus has the authority to lay it down and to pick it up. It shows his divine nature. It shows that he is the great I am. And so he did this with the direction of the Father, and Jesus obeyed and did what he told him to do. So knowing who Jesus is helps us know who we are. Because Jesus is the good shepherd, we have life more abundantly. Because he is the good shepherd, we are loved and accepted by God. Because he is the good shepherd, we are part of God's people and share in a good purpose. The theologian Gary Berg says this about the good shepherd. He is skilled and courageous. If we remain under his leadership, if we recognize his voice, we will find safety and flourish. To make this come alive, I need to recognize the perilous environment of my life, my need of guidance, and the needed skill to know the right voices from the wrong voices. What voices do you listen to? Who speaks into your life? Do you spend maybe five minutes reading your Bible, but then yet two hours on Instagram or binging YouTube or Netflix? Again, I'm preaching to myself here, guys, so don't get offended. When you're in trouble, do you go first to Jesus, or do you first go to anything and everyone but him? In order to be who we're truly meant to be, in order to experience truly abundant life, we need to fully grasp who Jesus is. We need to be daily led by his voice. This is back to the basics, nothing you haven't heard before. Read your Bible and pray every day. If you only have two minutes, if you only have five minutes, that's fine. That's a great place to start. 
But would you join me in prayer this morning? And if you feel uh, a challenge on your life or you, you have needs in your heart or maybe you, you want to explore what it means to be a follower of Jesus, our prayer team is going to be up here as the, the worship team leads us in response and we would love to pray with you. But leave me in prayer or join me in prayer as uh, Pastor Holly and our team leads us in worship. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love and your goodness and your grace. And we thank you that you are the good shepherd that calls us each by name. That you are the good shepherd that lays down your life so that we could have life more abundantly. That you are the good shepherd that loves us even when we feel unlovable or we're scared that if they truly knew that we would be rejected, Lord, but you don't reject us. And Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love and your grace and your Holy Spirit to be with us each and every day, every moment, Lord. We thank you. And all God's people said, amen.